Well, thanks be to God. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. It's good to see you. It's always good to see you. Come on now. You showed up, didn't you? It's good to be in the house of the Lord, always taking in the word of God this morning. It's, there's a lot coming against the word of God these days. If you listen to enough, whether it be on the radio or your devices or whatever it is that you take in the word of God, and you can hear a lot of uh, different types of ideas that are coming about as to perhaps what some might deem as new revelation or or a better understanding of the Word of God, and there's all kinds of things out there today that we hear and we listen to and we, we seek to understand God's Word, and, and yet it's coming at us in some different directions. It's not a new thing, but there are those in our world today that seem to be attacking Scripture. Hard to believe that, attacking the Bible. One such attack was stated this way. He said, one, uh, an attacker, he said it this way. He said, we need to read and interpret the Bible as other great works of literature. We need to read and interpret the Bible as other great works of literature like Shakespeare, among others, is what he said. This was said by a learned follower of Jesus. And I wonder today if that, uh, judging by your response, does that register as amazing to us that we need to read the Bible as we read any other form of literature in the world that we have. I mean, most of Shakespeare's work up to 80, 90% of it is considered fictional. And yet he wrote some history, but it's based, much of it is on, based on fiction. It's like when we put a movie on, maybe we're back to uh, Netflix or whatever we like to watch our movies on, and, and the caption pops up just before the movie starts, and it says, based on a true story. You've seen that, have you not? And we know, we all know well with regard to Hollywood what that means. It generally means this. It means that, that this is what we believe about the story, and we want you to believe it also. That's usually what, based on a true story, some of them have been done pretty good uh, uh, based on at least some of the, um, the um, history that I've learned from. I think they, when I was a kid, they were still, I think they were still teaching history um, and constitution and all those sort of things. But to compare the Bible, that two-edged word of God, to fictional literature, it's not disparaging the literary works of Shakespeare, but to compare the Bible, to interpret the Bible the way that, the, that we would other literature, or as an author called it, he actually called it this, his words, biblical interpretation. Biblical interpretation, well, to, to, to treat it like any other form of literature is just outside the, the norms of how most of us were, were raised or brought up or even educated in God's Word. The, the author, he went on to say this, you'll like this, that we should interpret the Bible according to our own worldview. How about that? Man, you, I don't know about you, you don't want my Bible that's interpreted in my worldview, and I probably don't want yours either. According to our own worldview, the, the, the author actually called it thus biblical interpretation. You see, that's just not what the doctrine of biblical interpretation is. Let me share with you what we believe about the Word of God this morning. You've heard it before, I'm sure. We believe in the plenary 
plenary or full and complete inspiration of the Holy Scriptures by which we understand the 66 books of the Old Testament and the New Testament given by divine inspiration, inerrantly revealing, hold on to that word, it makes everybody nervous, inerrantly revealing the will of God concerning us in all things necessary to our salvation. So that whatever is not contained therein is not to be enjoined with an article of faith that we believe as a body of Christ called the Church of the Nazarene. You see, the Bible is divinely inspired. If it's divinely inspired, then it's true. All of it. It is inherently revealing. This is where you'll see a slightly different than some that who in a challenging way bring every little word definition we believe that it is inherently revealing the will of God concerning us and all things necessary to our salvation, to us finding the will of God and knowing who God is and having a, uh, a relationship with our God. That's what we believe is inspired of God. All things necessary to having that kind of relationship with our God. Every bit of it. And we do not need other literary works or our own interpretations to give us understanding of God's word. You see, we don't interpret the Bible. The Bible interprets us. We kind of get that backwards, don't we, sometimes? I'm using we really generally, you know, but we tend to want to say, well, I don't know if I believe that. And often when I find something I'm not sure about, I don't say, I don't, I don't know if I believe. I, I, I start with, Lord, is there something you're trying to share with me here? The Bible is God's word. It is not just what I think it is. It is not what my favorite author thinks it is. As I speak to you each week, my prayer is not that I somehow interpret for you the word of God, but that the word of God, the holy word would be revealed to us, that God's word would reveal itself to us and to me as we seek understanding through the word and the power of the Holy Spirit. Preachers and teachers and authors and faith leaders are all good and at times really do bring us, they share with us great truths that are transformational for our lives. They really do. I listen to a whole bunch of them. I'm sure you do too. But we do not speak, we as those who speak the word of God, we do not speak the word to others. We are fallible. <laughs> and you may have a favorite one on the radio or television they're all human beings. They're fallible. I'm fallible. But God's word in all things that lead us to salvation is not. It is not. It is our standard that does not change. We conform to it. It does not conform to us. Many years ago at the height of her fame as the other woman in the Ivana and Donald Trump breakup, Marla Maple spoke of her religious roots. She believed in the Bible. She stated this. She believed in the Bible. She told interviewers, then added this disclaimer, but you can't always take it literally and be happy. She just said it. I've lived that way sometimes. I would say this morning, you can take it literally in context. A professional boxer was converted to Christ. He felt it was wrong to continue hitting people, but 
He only knew boxing as a profession, so he, he sought the counsel of the deacons of his church, and one responded this way, don't see why you can't continue. Bible says that it's better to give than to receive. I suppose in boxing that's true. But understanding the word of God, that would be poor biblical interpretation and out of context. But more seriously, there was a pastor that was speaking with his son. His son had just enrolled in university to become a pastor. And his son told him that there was within the biblical education, this is a true story, Within the biblical education, there was a whole move against the inerrancy of Scripture. His son told him that, that if you use the term inerrant, that you were part of the older, uninformed dinosaur generation. And I checked it out the other day, and apparently I'm a part of the older, uninformed dinosaur generation, just so you know, in context, though. His father asked him, well, then, what are they using to come to that conclusion? And what he found was that the argument that was being used today is no different than the argument that was being used over 35 years ago. And then he said that uh, with, based on his father's, uh, the, not the student, but the father, when he was in Babakaj, even back beyond his mentors, 65 years ago, they were still coming against the inerrancy of scriptures for a lot of different reasons. And so he asked his son, what are some of their main arguments? What bothers them most about the scriptures and whether they are true or accurate? And his son said, well, the inconsistencies. And his father said, like, well, like what? And his son answered, he said, well, they're saying, not, not his son, but the ones that teach him at university, they're saying, uh, his son said this, they're saying, um, that it is scientifically impossible for a man to live inside a fish for three days. That's impossible. And his father, a prominent pastor in our country, he said to him, well, I actually believe that also. And his son said, what? You, you do? You believe that? And his father said, yeah, I do believe that it is scientifically impossible to live in the belly of a fish for three days. And then his dad said this, I also believe that it's scientifically impossible for an ocean to part and for people to walk over on dry land. I also believe that it's scientifically impossible for a virgin to have a, a child. And I believe it's scientifically impossible for a man to walk on water. And I believe it's impossible for a man to be raised from the dead. And then that pastor said to his son, that doesn't prove the Bible isn't true. That proves that God is God. Man. That means that we have a supernatural, miracle-working God. That's what that proves. There are many, many things in God's Word that are impossible, and if our God is subject to science, well, then we're in a lot of trouble. If our God is subject to science, we got a real problem. Can we just get back to believing everything that's written in God's Word and quit listening to those that want to slice it and dice it and find all the inconsistencies and want to bring it down to our level when what really needs to happen is for us to come up to its level. When I find things that don't make sense to me from God's word, I do a really simple thing. It'll probably disappoint you, but I just decide to believe it. And I either study it further or I move on until revelation occurs. Until God sees fit to have me go, oh... We used to call them aha moments, right? Ah, aha. 
We're talking about God's word, and you may remember that the very first attack on God's word was in the garden. Remember when the enemy, the, the serpent, there's all people want to find out. Maybe it had legs. Maybe it just had feet. Maybe, you know, was it, a, was it that? But what's more important is that he said, did God really say? Is that what God really said? And where that leads is where Satan took that first couple. He said, you can become like God. That attack on God's word, it's still intact today. And it leads to ourselves being the center of truth. And that is without a doubt fallible, for I am not truth. But it is truth that resides within me, leading me into his truth, for he is the way, the truth, and the life. If you or I can decide which passages are inspired or not, then you or I become God. And you or I, you or I are not God. <laughs> I'm certainly not. And you may be a little bit like me. You're, you're not either. I hope you won't lose faith in me as your pastor today. Whether I perfectly understand it or not, I'm just simple enough to say I believe every word that's found in this book. This book is our standard. We live in a world that doesn't like standards. It only likes the standards that make us feel good or make us rich. <laughs> it likes all kinds of standards that brings lots of stuff into our lives and frees us from anything that would hold us back. But our standard has not changed. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It will forever be the same. It does not change. God's word is per the perfect standard for us to live our lives according to. This is the modern day attack of the enemy. It's even in our own universities at times. At, at the very least, it, it seems to be something that is making us doubt the word of God. At its best, it's trying to further educate our students as to what it's really accurately saying. But the enemy's against the word of God today. He is against that word. He doesn't have to discuss the issues any further. He just needs to discredit this book as God's word. Just discredit it. Just create a little doubt for us. And even in Christendom, our, our, our very respected and learned people of faith are still wrestling these days about whether it's all true or accurate or not. And as your pastor, I just want to say this book is true, cover to cover. And by the way, those that like to doubt the word of God, they, they, they should choose a different story than the story of Jonah, like that one. Maybe use a story that Jesus doesn't use to prove about how he'll rise again from the dead. Jesus himself said, as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, so the Son of Man will be in the belly of the earth for three days and then rise again. Might want to pick something that Jesus doesn't use to, to prove himself. So if someone wants to use Scripture to prove that there are inconsistencies, they might want to use something else. I'll just say it like I believe it. To understand the meaning of God's Word, sometimes the words get in the way. They're challenging. It's, it's a hard, uh, um, when, they, when they interpret, uh, you can't just take just a word. It, it comes from uh, a different time, a different place, a different culture. It's God speaking to a different people. 
doesn't mean it's not for us. It just means that we need to understand who God's speaking to, what he's trying to say, and what the reaction of the people are, and then what God does, and then how that fits into where we are in the day we live. It's called exegeting the scriptures, pulling out and drawing out from it what the, we can understand from it today. The words get in the way, but to understand it, we must read it, we must meditate on it, we must pray for understanding and seek the context in which it was written. Who is it written to and what was the geographical location, the culture of the time? Who are the characters and how are they connected? What is the thought or idea that is being spoken? And now in light of all these things, how does the meaning translate in our current culture and modern day situations? What can we exegete or draw out from it that is helpful to our lives for this day? So we start a new series today. It's called More Than Words Can Say. Sometimes the words, uh, particular words, are saying more than we see just on the page. And for our first week, we look at the Word of God as bread. I was going to bring my bread machine in today and just cook one right in front of you. And I thought, ah, we have churches with no smell zones these days. I better not do that. You might be allergic to bread. I don't know. But don't, I just love the smell of bread. I, my mom used to make it the old-fashioned way. And, and it, I'd come home and, oh, when's that ready? So I just didn't do it. And get your own bread. <laughs> you see, the Bible is the bread of life. It's our daily bread, our sustaining bread, and our true bread. And while there are those that want to scrutinize and pick it apart, all the, the meaningless points that bring doubt and confusion, I want to bring to you the bread of life this morning. So let's get right to the word of the day, bread. Number one, the Bible is our daily bread. It is. May we never see God's word as something that we pull off the shelf when the pressure is on, when, when, when we're in a bind or a pickle and we, we need a word that will help us get through the situation. For the, the word is our daily bread. It's something that we need every day. It's something that we should look at first thing in the morning if we can, but sometime during the day we should hear uh, and take in a piece of our daily bread. Exodus 16, 4 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I rain bread down bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion. Just a day's portion. Every day, the word says, every day, that I may test them whether or not they will walk in my instruction. Then we can move to the New Testament in, in Matthew 6, 11, we'll get to, to John in a minute, but Jesus is teaching about prayer. He says this about prayer in, in Matthew 6, 11, give us this day our daily bread. The bread would be all that we need, all the food that is needed for our daily lives. It is our sustenance, and it's needed each and every day. He knows what our physical needs are, and he takes care of us. And our daily intake, we, we have a certain amount that's needed to live and to survive. There was a guy from Tyson's Foods. He arranged a visit to our general superintendents of the Church of the Nazarene. Now, that's my disclaimer. When I say it that way, you know it's not from a true story, but it'll make a point for you. Tyson Foods, going to meet with our general superintendents, and after being received at in Lenexa at the world headquarters, he says quietly to a general superintendent, do we have a deal for you? 
if you just change the Lord's prayer from give us this day our daily bread to give us this day our daily chicken, we'll donate $500 million to the Church of the Nazarene. The general response, that's impossible. The, that prayer is the word of the Lord and it must not be changed. Well, says the Tyson man, we are prepared to donate one billion to the church if you change the Lord's prayer and from give us this day our daily bread to give us this day our daily chicken. Again, the general superintendent replied, that's impossible. We can't do it. Prayer is the word of God and it must not be changed. Finally, the Tyson guy says, this is our last offer. We will donate $5 billion to the church if you change the Lord's prayer from give us this day our daily bread to give us this day our daily chicken. And then he left. The next day, the general superintendent met with all the district superintendents. He said, I have some good news and I have some bad news. The good news is that the church has come into $5 billion dollars. The bad news is that we are losing our Wonder Bread contract. First service thought that was a lot funnier. You see, no matter how much we want to change the Word of God, it cannot. If it's the same yesterday, today, and forever, it's what we need daily. It can't be changed. There are those that want to change it. There's one of those that want to say that that doesn't mean what that says. It trickles its way into our denominations. It's the Word of God, and we need it daily. You see, food during the time of Jesus, it was kind of hard to come by. It, you either tended sheep or you did farming, and it was hard work and long, long hours. And there was no Walmart or Albertsons on a highway with 14 different stoplights. We typically, well, it seems like that. <laughs> we typically don't have this kind of understanding of of God being the source of our very lives, especially when it comes to food. Our, our thoughts are not generally if the crops fail or what if there isn't enough water. We don't think that way per se in our day. We, we're concerned mostly with our monthly bills, the little pieces of paper that we get in the mail or that they ping on our phones. And If we need more bread, we just go to the store and spend about a buck and a half. Or if you like that artisan bread, it's about $3. Did you ever think you'd spend $3 on bread? When I was little, my mom got four loaves for a buck. And some of you probably can remember even better than that. So we just go to the store and buy for a buck and a half. We get bread. Not so easy for the early Christians. And when Jesus teaches about prayer, he says, your father knows what you need. Before you even ask it, he knows. He says, pray this way, give us this day our daily bread. This is about what we need for the day. He's in control. Of, we, we submit our lives to him. He knows what we need, and he, he, he gives that to us. He, he gives us our, our energy to work and to do the things that we do to bring the incomes in that we feed ourselves and our families. 
This is about what we need just for the day, not what is needed at the end of the month, but only what is needed this day. The Israelites understood it as the, they made their way through the wilderness. They understood his provision for them. Manna from heaven was provided daily to meet their needs for the day. You remember it didn't last. You couldn't save it. I, we got Tupperware all over the place. And it lasts longer, but it doesn't last forever, does it? You've opened them. Remember, you're supposed to burp it before you put it in there, and now you open it and it burps, and you <laughs> take it over to the trash, right? They couldn't save the man. It was a provision that was a daily provision for them. You see, God provided for their needs daily manna from heaven, and, and God taught his early followers to pray for daily bread. And he was the bread from heaven that came down. And in the same way, we need to partake of the bread of God daily, which is the Bible. God's word is very clear that the words of God are bread for our sustaining, to sustain our lives, our spiritual lives. God's word is clear. It is something that we need every day, just as the earlier followers needed daily bread and the children of Israel needed daily bread or manna to sustain them for their journey. You see, I believe that God wants us to, he wants to give us a daily word. A daily word. He, he has that daily word for each one of us, something that will sustain our spiritual lives daily, not just what you get on Sunday or Wednesday night or Thursday night youth group. Or you know, it, It's not just a once-a-week thing. We get up, and God has something for each one of us every day, a specific word, even if you don't feel like it. You might think, why did I even get up early? Just wait. Just give God time. He's, he's going to bring it right when you need it. He's going to give you that daily word. Now, we know, at least, at least I, I know, we all should know that we should be feasting on God's word every day. And I grew up under a heavy, uh, a heavy, heavy from the church and adults that I, I felt like if I didn't, you know, get up and pray or pray before I go to bed or get up and read my Bible, uh, that, that hell's at the other end of that. And that wasn't a good way to be raised, but it, it kept me motivated quite often and kind of kept me moving a particular way. I, I look back now going, I would hate to, to motivate anybody that way today, but for the day that I grew up and was living, it, it was probably pretty good. Kept me, kept me out of some things. Did you stay out of some things because you did what you knew you better do or something's going to happen if you don't do that? My mom would chase us with her brush. She broke it over my brother's head one time and then threw the handle at him. You broke my brush. He's like, what did I do? <laughs> she said, quit picking on your brother. And it broke her favorite brush, and she threw that handle at him. We're under her bathroom crying. And that's when me and my brother go. <laughs> and she hears it, so I hear her out the bathroom. You want more? I don't want more. God has a daily word for us every day. And we should be in it. It's not to hold us hostage or to make us feel like, but we should get to the point where I'm, I'm, I'm missing something. He's got something for this very day if I'm not in that word. See, the Bible is not a novel. It's not something that we read once and then stop reading. It is the word of God we, that we're talking about. It, this is the book of all books. It's vital that we see 
that the Bible has a unified theme and a story that runs through it. It's a love letter of the redemptive history centered on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. The Bible is more than just a collection of stories and myths, folklore. The Bible is meant to be a daily feast that we enjoy every day. The question might be put this way to us this morning. What was your word from God today when you got up and you had your donut at home before you came and had a donut at church? (laughs) We each need a daily word from God. It's the manna from heaven that comes down. It is our daily sustenance for our spiritual lives. You see, there are those days that we get real busy and and maybe we don't eat breakfast and maybe we don't even eat lunch and we get to that mid-afternoon spot and we start feeling kind of woozy or icky or yuck. We just don't have the energy that we need for the rest of the day. And as the day progresses on, we feel kind of shaky or, or yucky, if you forgive my term. You ever feel yucky because you didn't eat breakfast or lunch? And we can start to tremble and feel weak and feeble. And to be honest, there are Christians today that are taking in God's, work, God's word only weekly maybe or every other couple weeks or so. And the spiritual anemia is setting in. We can feel spiritually weak and shaky and spiritually dying of biblical malnutrition. We must take in the rich nutrient of God's word daily, every day. Could, it be, could we make it a possible, could we possibly make it a goal today, the daily reading of God's word? Hey, do you have version? We have a screen over there at the very bottom. It's called YouVersion. Do you have YouVersion? This service would be the one that has it. You you can get God's Word in any translation that you could possibly want. If you can't carry your Bible around or you don't want to, these hold everything. I've got probably 35 Bibles in here that I can read from. You just go to Bible.com slash app. There are like over 12 million uh, devices that have this app put together by... I was going to say a little church in Oklahoma. It's not a little church anymore. It's a big church in Oklahoma. And it's on devices. It's called the Bible app. And you can read it in any version you like. You can study it. It even has commentary and all that kind of stuff that you might need. You can put it on your devices or you can just carry your Bible with you, whichever you like to do. The point is that it's just available to us so easily and readily today. And we need it more than just occasionally. We need it more than when we just are having a challenge in our life. And it's free. There's no cost on it. (laughs) Not only is number one the Bible our daily bread, but number two, the Bible is our sustaining bread. Our sustaining bread, uh, that's what it is, Matthew 4, 3 through 4. This is when Jesus is being tempted by Satan. You remember, he's been led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. And Jesus, he's fasted for 40 days and nights, and he becomes hungry. Doesn't take me 40, that's for sure. But he's become hungry. And here in Matthew 4, 3 through 4, it says, Now when the tempter came to him, he said, "If If you are the Son of God. He didn't say you're not. He said, if you are. Command these stones to become bread. But he answered and said, it is written. It is written. Man shall not live by what? By bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Here's the side note. If scripture 
like, like was mentioned from the beginning of the message, if, if it's God's word is just another literary work, like Shakespeare, why do you suppose Jesus used the word to overcome his tempter, to push back against this great enemy? For three times Jesus said, it is written, it is written, it is written. He didn't say, wherefore out thou, O Father in heaven? He said, it is written. The guys I've been meeting with who recently made commitments to Jesus, I told them as soon as they made that commitment, I said, I don't want to, I don't want to, bum you out or, or or just ruin your day, but I just want you to know that the enemy is coming. Uh, I don't mean that to take away from the glorious sense of what it feels like to when you first come to Christ, but I just want you to know he's the enemy and he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to take that which is starting within you and he wants to steal it from you. The enemy is coming, I told them. The enemy will come. Uh, I've said it over and over. If we will submit ourselves to God and resist the enemy that he will flee from you. The word promises that. And how do we resist that enemy? In the name, in the audible name of Jesus. We speak from our bread of life. It is written. It was good for Jesus and it's fantastic for us. Are you facing a trial, a temptation, something that has the power to take your life or your wealth or your children? My answer and your answer when the enemy comes to bring this doubt is this, it is written. Quote Shakespeare or any other literary work that you like and see how it goes against that enemy. No, really don't. The power that we have over the enemy is not of ourselves or anyone else. It comes from the mighty, powerful, spoken word of God, our bread of life. And if we take it in as our daily bread, it will also become our sustaining bread. Deuteronomy 8.3 says, so, be, so he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna which you did not know nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man should not or shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This is the word that Jesus answers the enemy, the enemy's tempting with. He reminds the enemy through God's word that it is the word of God that sustains him. Isaiah 55, 2 says, Why do you spend money for that which is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. The question is, why do you spend, why do we spend our time not feeding your spirit and your wages for what does not satisfy? You see, the word is going to feed our souls. It will sustain us if we'll take it in. In 12 it said, I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth, which is the Bible, more than my, necess my necessary food. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food food. Joshua 1.8 says, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then, after that, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Prosperous and successful. Don't get me wrong. I'm not a name it, claim it 
prosperity preacher, but the word seems to share with us that if we'll take it in and meditate on it day and night and observe, do be doers of that word, that, that, that prosper, prosperousness and, and successfulness should come our way. And, and how many would love to see more of that in our lives? And, and not just financial. It's not about I'll get a ton of money. It, it, perhaps it's just our marriages. Maybe my marriage will be better if I take in the word of God. And if I do what it says, if I think of others more highly than I think of myself, perhaps my marriage will get better. Or our families are finding favor with those who employ us. I have a great employer. My boss is awesome. And the more I take in of God's word, the more I want to serve him, the more I want to do, the more I want to be a part of this great congregation and, and, and pray for you and love you and, and, and visit you and see you at the hospital and see you at your home and all those kind of things. The more I take in his word, the more I want to do that. Not, people say, you get paid to do that. No, I don't. No, God's call is much bigger than a check, is it not? It's much bigger than a check. And according to this verse, being in God's word day and night will make our way prosperous. And of good success. When I take in God's word and do what it says, I'm always better than when I don't. So God's word is our daily bread. God's word is our sustaining bread. And number three, God's word is our true bread. Don't forget how we started. We started with manna, the word said, bread from heaven. Watch what Jesus says here in John chapter 6, 31 through 35. You'll find that on your overhead. Our fathers ate the manna, starting at verse 31. Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread bread for the bread of God is he or Jesus who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world then he said to him Lord they said to him Lord give us this bread and Jesus said to them I am the bread and then they grumbled I am the bread of life he who comes to me shall never hunger spiritually and he who believes in me shall never thirst. You see, Jesus satisfies. He satisfies all of our spiritual needs. And then there in verse 48 of John chapter 6, he says, I am. This is one of the, the I am statements, one of the first we'll find. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness. And what does he say? They are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. This is the bread that feeds the stomach. This is the bread that feeds the soul that you may never die. He says in verse 51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world of which we partook of this morning as we took the elements of the cup and the bread together. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, it says, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then in verse 14 of chapter 1, and the word became flesh and it dwelt among us and we beheld his glory and the glory of the only begotten, reminds you of 316, does it not? The only begotten son of the father full of grace and truth. 
And then in John 19, 11, now I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he who sat on it was called faithful and true and in, the, in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written on one uh, uh, that no one knew except himself. No one knew what the name was that was written except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The Word of God. You see, when we read this book, the Holy Bible, the Word of God, we are taking into us Jesus. How do I get more of Jesus in me? Got to go to concerts, you know, be a part of all that. no. Read the word of God. It is, it's Jesus. The word was with God and was God from the very beginning. John 6, 66, Jesus said this, the words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. It may sound extremely rudimentary to us, but the more that we read the book, the Holy Bible, the more Jesus actually gets into us. We actually have the answer to all the questions that, that plague us, that we can't seem to figure it out from the Word of God, but we must read it and we must take it in. We must ingest it as the very life-giving source that it is. We actually have the words of eternal life at our fingertips and all of our devices. If we will but just read the book, the very words of God, it'll change our lives forever. We will find it to be our daily bread. We'll find it to be our sustaining bread. And we'll find it to be the one true living bread. Yes, God sustains us physically and he meets the tangible needs of this life. But more than that, he fulfills our spiritual needs. He is the bread that satisfies our spiritual hunger. He sustains our hearts when we ask God for our daily bread, we are humbly acknowledging him as our sole giver of all that we need. We are, the living, we are living day by day, one step at a time. We are exercising simple faith in him to provide just what we need, just when we need it for every area of our life. If you struggle today or if you become lax in your faith or your, your confidence in God's leading purpose in your heart today to be in his word daily, to daily take in his word. It'll make all the difference. This is our standard. It does not change. Watch who you want to watch. Listen to who, who you want to listen to. And I promise you, the Holy Spirit resides inside our lives, inside of our, 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 who we are. And, and if, if somebody is speaking something that does not line up with the Word of God, he will reveal it to you. He'll give you that, that you know, uh, last week, um, I don't know, I just felt like I haven't had a bowl of um, uh, bran flakes. What are they called? Um, two scoops? Raisin bran. I used to love raisin bran. I haven't had raisin bran. I don't know how long. I said, I'm going to get some raisin bran. But we had some milk up there that I wasn't sure about. And, and, and I remember opening a, you know, the sniff test. It's what moms do with socks. Yeah, that's got to go in the laundry. So, yeah, it's like, yeah, and, and I thought, you know how you kind of go, eh, but that's all we had. <laughs> and so I poured it on the flakes and put a little sugar there and took a bite. And I went, hmm. 
hmm, and it seemed okay, but I think it was right on the cusp, you know what I mean? It's like right there, another two days, and I'd be like, this is bad. Where it, 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 just, it just all of a sudden is bad, right? When you hear something that, it, that doesn't ring true, it's not because we're so smart. It's because the Spirit of God re- resides within us. And, and you, don't need, you don't need just me. You don't need your favorite author. You don't need your favorite book writer to interpret what God is trying to say to you in the Word. It happened to me when I was very young, when I was 16 years old. How'd that happen? I was 16 years old, and, and, and uh, I was at Morro Bay, and this guy's preaching, and he's preaching. I'm only 16. What do I, I don't, I, I knew everything, but I didn't know anything. And, and uh, he, he's preaching, and he got to one part, and, and he said a few things, and I went, uh, you know, that doesn't smell right. It doesn't taste right. And, but who am I? I felt bad for even thinking it. I had to repent a few times thinking I might go to hell for that. And, and I, but I was thinking, I don't know. That, does, that doesn't sound right. And it wasn't because I studied the Bible since I was five, but, but something was there. And I remember thinking, that's not right. And that's the day the Lord said, well, why don't you speak for me then? And I reminded him that you're talking to Rob Brooks, and, you know, <laughs> I don't know about this, you know, but I didn't argue with him. I don't know what that means. I'll have to see what that means. But yes, Lord, whatever you want me to do, but that didn't seem right. I can't even tell you what it was for sure. I remember the statement, but I don't remember the context in which he was using it. But the Holy Spirit resides within us. And if, some, if somebody's espousing things that aren't a part of this that, or, or that are a, a perversion of this, the Holy Spirit, he, he won't make you stand up and scream at the person. He'll just say, I've got something more liberating for you. Because people want to bring control, and God wants to bring freedom. And so would you purpose in your life this week to daily take in the Word of God? And if you're not sure what it means, study it further, or just move on, or wait for revelation, because He will bring it. He's faithful to do that. He'll do that. He's done it in my life. He'll do it in your life. And he will reveal to you exactly what you need for that day, our daily bread, our sustaining bread, and our true bread. Let's stand together.